0: our lives will either bring glory or dishonor to the gospel is that there is an identity crisis in in our country america is surely going through an identity crisis so many so many people speaking in churches today and it's not enough to speak, it's not enough to teach. You've got to teach what is sound, what is healthy. And if you can, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Titus chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self control and sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger man to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. There to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of God, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Teach these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You may be seated and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in the sight of the Lord our God. So, as we come to this section here in Titus, uh, one thing that came to my mind that's undeniable is that there is an identity crisis in, in our country. America is surely going through an identity crisis. And I would say even among conservative or liberals, religious and non religious Christians and unbelievers, all agree that to some degree, Our nation suffers from identity crisis. People no longer know what a man or a woman is. And when you don't know what a man is, you don't know how a man is supposed to behave. Sadly, this confusion about a man and woman, manhood, womanhood, sadly, is present in many churches today. And today we're gonna to be talking about the older men and men in general. So I was think about men. I have seen many conferences in churches or men's retreats where the main speaker is not a pastor or theologian, he's not a man sound in theology, not a man who is well known for his handling of the scriptures. But usually they get someone who is mainly, especially veterans or somebody who serves in the army, as if that what men needed. So instead of sound theology, instead of a good pastor, they think that what men need is somebody who was in the army and will encourage this man to be real men. So they choose men often with very little sound theology. Also, one of the Christian bestseller books on manhood for many years was Wild at Heart, Discovering the Secret of Man's Soul by John Eldridge. How many of you read that book, just so I know? Nobody? Okay, good. I I read that book. It was amazing, The, the endorsement by Chuck Swindle. He said... That's the best, most insightful book I have read in at least five years. The book has unhealthy doctrines about God. While the heart has, is deeply flawed when it comes to the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the church, there is never a, a, that I remember a good reference about the church. Uh, the, and of course, if you have unhealthy teaching about God, if, if you have unhealthy doctrine, therefore it will lead to an unhealthy lifestyle that's trying to promote among, among men. The idea of this book is that real masculinity is lived outside the Garden of Eden. You see, God made man outside the Eden. And, and, and basically, he doesn't say, but basically, it's kind of there was a mistake with God in placing man in the Eden. Because God made men outside the Eden, and that's where it's wild, and men is supposed to be wild. Eve was created in the Eden. So the main idea is masculinity is lived outside Eden. That the core of a man's heart is undomesticated. The true manhood is lived in the wild, hunting, climbing, watching war movies. So, so much of the book is about war movies, Gladiator, and all these movies where God is speaking to him through these movies. And true masculinity, according to the book, because you don't find many references, is actually outside the church. But when you look at Paul, you look at the New Testament, you don't see this type of teaching about manhood. There is nothing Titus 2 about this. I remember reading that book, and and I think I'm a manly man, but I'm not big into going to the wild and camping and hunting and climbing. I'm not. And it's like, you feel like, am I a less man because of that? So you... True masculinity is not marked by being wild, by, by being self-controlled, dignified, healthy in doctrine and in love. So Titus 2 is extremely relevant for us today. was relevant more than 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. And it's relevant today where we have a crisis in the identity of what is a man, what is a young man, what is a young woman, what is... An older woman so i pray that as we study this portion of scriptures here titus chapter 2 that the lord will wash us transform us and make us the men and the women that he calls us to be and is revealed to us right here as we come to titus chapter 2 uh, we know that the chapters and the verses were not in the original manuscript. I think they're very helpful most of the times, the chapter and the verses. But sometimes we, we start creating a pause where there is no pause. And, it, and if you think about chapter 2, it's just an outflow of chapter 1. So Paul left Titus in Crete to do a, set the churches in order. So remember that all that's coming to chapter 2 is about having an orderly church. How an orderly church is supposed to look like. And then he tells us that he's supposed to appoint godly men as leaders. And these godly men as leaders, they are supposed also to fight the ungodly men who are trying to take leadership in the church. So in contrast with the false teachers that we are looking at the past few Sundays... The false teachers were supposed to be silent. In contrast, Titus, who is represent- representing the faithful leaders, he's supposed to speak and to teach. The false teachers are destroying families, households, churches, and the teaching of that's supposed to come from the faithful leaders is supposed to build up the families and the churches. You can see in your Bible how Titus two is structured, and It begins and ends with the command to speak, to teach. The same Greek verb there. So verse 1 says, But as for you, laleo, teach. What course is sound doctrine? And then he's going to finish chapter 2, look at verse 15, with the same verse. Teach these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. So in between... So verses 2 through 14, you have what Paul is telling Titus and the other elders to teach in the church. So we have this sandwich here. So verse 1, verse 15, you must teach. And then in verse 2 through 14, what he's supposed to be teaching the church. So an orderly church that honors God and reflects the orderly character of our God will have order to the different groups of people in the church. The structure you can see in your Bibles. I just want to give you an overview of this chapter. We're going to spend some Sundays here, so I just want to help you to see how this chapter is structured. So you can see the structure is very simple. First, The first exhortation is to Titus. Then from Titus to the older men. From the older men to the older women. And then he connects, since the older women will be teaching, it follows to the younger women. And then he moves back to the younger men, and then to Titus again, the leader, and then to slaves. So that's how the structure of this chapter is formed by Paul. And think about the church, in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says that the church is God's household. And, as God's household, there is an order, there is specific duties and types of behavior that's required for older men, younger men, older women, younger women, slaves following the the pattern of a household in the first century and Here it is important you to, to think about. You see that from verses 1 through 10, you have a series of exhortations. A series of exhortations. Older men must be like this. Older women must be like that. Younger women must be like that. Younger men must be like that. Leaders must be like this. Slaves must behave like that. And all these exhortations, all these commandments, Paul is very clear to specify the reason why we must walk and behave this manner. Of course, ultimately, it's to the glory of God. But look at verses 5, 8, and 10. Because he explains why we must behave in a certain manner. So he says in chapter 2, verse 5, The young women must be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. And look at the reason. That the word of God may not be reviled. Look at verse 8. He's talking to Titus, the leaders. Show yourself in all respects to be a model, so that an opponent may be put to shame, have nothing evil to say about us. And then in verse 10, he says, Slaves are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. What is the reason? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So there is this missional, this evangelistic purpose behind living godly lives. You are commanded to live a godly life in order to adorn the gospel, beautify the gospel. You don't want other people looking at you. You profess to be a Christian, but you live just like the world. And people say, what is the benefit of your faith? What is the benefit of Christianity if you live just like everybody else? So that's what Paul, one of the main reasons why we must behave in a certain manner. To glorify God, to glorify our Lord and help people see the difference that the gospel makes in our lives. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12, Peter says, Keep your behavior among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And Jesus, in Matthew 5.16, He says, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that's the theology that Paul has behind these exhortations of how they are supposed to live. You see, Paul does not see himself as the only evangelist. Paul does not see himself as the only one evangelizing and in the work of mission. He sees the churches that he planted. The members of those churches also are supposed to be spreading the gospel through words and through works. Our lives will either bring glory or dishonor to the gospel. And that's why you have all these exhortations for how Christians are to live. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men, servants, all of them here. That's how you need to live. So you can glorify God by how people see God working in you and transforming you and changing you. And the, the last aspect of chapter 2, and that's crucial, is the foundation, for the, the foundation for the imperatives. And the foundation is found in verses 11 through 14. Look at verses 11 through 14. Here's the foundation why Paul can and must exhort the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, the servants, the leaders, to live like that. He says... For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, all types of people, younger men, older men, younger women, older women. They're all, they have all been captured by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to to, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. So, here's the foundation, why you not only can, but why you must behave in this manner. Because Christ has invaded your life, and He has changed you, and He has implanted in you His grace that teaches you how to live godly lives. And it's interesting because usually as you go through Romans, you go through Ephesians, you go through Colossians, you see how Paul, he usually works by giving the doctrine first and then he has, therefore. So, for example, you walk through Ephesians 1 through 3, all the doctrinal, you are in the heavenlies, God has chosen you. And then you come to verse chapter 4, therefore. And then he starts a series of exhortations for how people are to live. Meaning, All the doctrinal foundation, now that's how you're to live. Same thing with Romans. Romans 1 through 11, you come to Romans 12, therefore, that's how you're supposed to live. Colossians, comes to Colossians 3, therefore, you're seated in the heavens. Now that's how you're supposed to live. But Paul here, he changes his pedagogical technique and actually he starts with the exhortations. That's how you're supposed to live. That's how you're supposed to behave. That's how you're supposed to conduct yourself. And then... He gives the reason why in verse 11 through 14. Okay, so that's just a, a quick overview of chapter 2, just so you are uh, just in touch. We are going to spend many Sundays here, so you know the structure of this chapter. Here's the outline of the, uh, not only today, but the next few Sundays. I'm just following Paul's instructions here. The call to pastors to preach healthy doctrine. Verse 1, the call to older men to live healthy, godly lives. Verse 2, the call to older women to live healthy lives. And so, So, let us go. Let's move on to verse 1. The call to pastors. And Titus is the embodiment of the leaders here to preach healthy doctrine. So look at verse 1. Starts by saying, But as for you, Titus... Teach what accords with sound doctrine. And you see, and that's what I said about the chapter transition, sometimes it it, it can be difficult, because it's flowing from a contrast. But you, you however, Paul is contrasting Titus with whom? Yes, the false teachers, from verses 10 through 16. So there is a contrast between them. So he's saying, here's how these men behave, but as for you, Titus. And Paul is well known for doing this transition. He highlights, emphasizes who he's talking to. It it is as if Paul is first getting Titus' face, pointing them to the false teachers, and then he turns to his own face and says, as for you, Titus, you do not do that. So, for example, Paul does that with Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Just for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. You see this contrast? That's how some people are living. But as for you, you do the opposite. You flee these things. 2 Timothy 3, verses 9 through 10. But the godless, he's referring to the godless people. They will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. You, however, but you, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Or 2 Timothy 3, verses 13 through 14. Evil evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, and then what? But as for you, Timothy, there's a contrast. Look at how these people are living. But as for you, and the last one, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 5. You see, that, that's Paul getting towards the end of his ministry and life. And it is as if he's his last time looking at these pastors that he's leaving the baton with them and saying, you, but you, pay attention here, brother. You need to do these other things. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And you turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So when you see Paul, what Paul is doing here is a pattern in his life is just turning Titus' face away and all the leaders who Titus is supposed to be training and representing. But you, you do something different. No matter what the other ministers, no matter what the other pastors are doing, it doesn't matter how seemingly effective their ministry is it doesn't matter how many people they're attracting to their churches it doesn't matter how much money they're making as for you you do what i'm telling you to do that's what paul is doing with titus contrasting him and demanding him a different sort of action and paul says but as for you The ESV, and I think most translations, they have teach what accords with sound doctrine. The verb, as we saw, Laleo, literally means speak. Speak. And yes, of course, it's a synonym to teach. But I think that Paul chose this word to speak for a very specific purpose. Because the pastoral life and the pastoral ministry is a ministry and life of speaking. We're always speaking. And people are always listening to your words. So much of the pastoral ministry is not necessarily through the formal like today we are doing. No, so much of pastoral ministry takes place also during times of hospitality. Having a cup of coffee together. Having a meal together. Praying for others. Hospital visits. Random encounters at grocery stores. And in all the situations, the pastor will exercise ministry through his speech. And whatever he says, people are going to be listening. So Robert Yarbrough, I think he's right here, he says, Paul's concern is not limited to what Titus teaches or preaches in the formal sense, like today but extends to the fullest expression of who he is as a verbal, interactive man of faith, an ecclesial, or church leader. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. Verse 7, he's telling Titus, representing the pastors here. Verse 7 says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and look at that. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. All that you say must be healthy. All that you say must bring life to people. That's why pastoral ministry is a hard ministry. Think about James 3. Not many of you should be teachers. Not many of you, not many of you should be leaders in the church. And he goes on to talk about what? The speech, the tongue. So that's what we see taking place here. And that's something that sometimes we, we, we learn through painful experiences. Some things that you say in a private setting, something that you say without thinking as you should have thought about, uh, and then those words will turn against you. or something you said they should not have said and will actually cause much damage to a marriage relationship, to a member in the church. So you've got to be so careful with what you say. That's why it's scary when you have pastors in the church telling the members the, the, the place where they can work, the job that they should take, the school that they should go to, as if they have all this authority. You got to be so careful with your speech. I remember a man telling me that he wanted to be an elder in a church. And one of the things I told him, knowing that man was that uh, brother, you need to grow in controlling your mouth. Because oftentimes you say things that are not sound in scripture. And that's not good for an elder all that you say, people are going to take hold of that. And the truth is not just for leaders, of course, for leaders, but for all Christians. In Ephesians 4 and 5, Paul says that our speech should bring life to people. So that's why I believe Paul used the language of whatever you say, Titus, say in accordance. All that you say, say that is feeding with sound doctrine. So he talks about sound doctrine. Look at verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. You see, it's not enough to teach. You need to teach sound doctrine in order to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Because there are so many people teaching, there are so many teachers. Right, so many, sp- so many people speaking in churches today, and it's not enough to speak. It's not enough to teach. You gotta teach what is sound, what is healthy, worthless because it's not consistent with sound doctrine. Think about Joe Austin, Paula White, Joyce Meyer, Francis Chan, Rob Bell, T.D. Jakes. They're all teachers, very eloquent men and women, speak much better than I do. They're speakers, they're teachers. It's not enough to be a teacher. You need to teach what is sound, what is healthy, and you have to teach what accords with sound doctrine. But that's why he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? The word sound we saw, and you're going to see, it's a word that Titus used frequently through, th- through this letter. Sound referring to healthy Something that's healthy, that gives life. Doctrine, what is doctrine? We, we, we can maybe summarize doctrine as uh, the body of teachings that we believe, that we teach, that we confess based on the scriptures, based on the word of God. So it's the body of teachings that we hold to, as coming from the gospel and that brings life. That's what sound doctrine is. And it's clear through this section here that healthy doctrine will lead to healthy lifestyle. And that goes completely against so many false ideologies that you see frequently people saying that doctrine divides. We don't need doctrine. Doctrine is just going to divide the church. Doctrine doesn't change anybody. That's so contrary to the scriptures. I, uh, I remember, oftentimes I'm talking to people and they tell me that they're Christians, they're going to church, and I love talking about churches. And Tell me about your pastor. Tell me about your church. Tell me about the series that he's preaching. And, and, and you often hear people saying, Oh, I just love the teaching, it's so practical. It's so practical. There is no heavy doctrine, there is no deep theology. It's just so practical. The series are always about marriage. The series is always about finances. The series that they're teaching is always about how to be a better worker, how to be a better father. The problem is, if you don't have doctrine, sound doctrine, you cannot have that type of behavior. That type of behavior will, will be consequence of sound teaching. It's amazing that even, think about Titus. Titus is under Paul. Paul is part of the apostles. The apostles were walking with Jesus. And think about, Paul already needs to tell Titus. Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's a few decades after Jesus was walking with the apostles. So, if if Paul needs to tell Titus to pay attention and to teach what accords with sound doctrine, how much more pastors today need to be reminded that? So he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That word is important. The ESV has what accords. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. Verse 9 of chapter 1. He's talking about the elders. He says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction. How? In sound doctrine. Meaning, he's going to teach, he's going to preach sound doctrine. But now, look at chapter 2, verse 1. You must teach how? what is in accordance, what accords with sound doctrine. That's an important word. Uh, if you have the NIV or I think the, the NIV has what is appropriate to you. Uh, like the lexicon says which are feeding for sound teaching. The verb here, it's a beautiful verb that Paul is using. Is the same, the same verb that he uses in First Timothy chapter 2. And you can see in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, look at verse 9 through 10. He's referring to the women in the church and he says, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves. So he's talking about how the women are supposed to dress themselves. Should adorn themselves in respectable app- app- apparel, with modesty and self-control, now with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. And look at that. But with what? What is proper. That's the same verb that Paul uses in Titus chapter 2 verse 1. What is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Meaning, there is a fitting way of dress for godly women. They must dress themselves with godliness, with good works. That's fitting. And Paul is going to use that same verb to say, you must teach the men, the women, the slaves, that they must dress themselves with what is fitting with sound doctrine. That's what Paul is teaching them. And it makes sense because Paul is going to talk in verse 10 of chapter 2, referring not only to the slaves, but to all of us. That we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, meaning make beautiful, adorning. So that's what Paul is saying. Old men, old women, young men, young women, you have a a way to dress yourself that's fitting with sound doctrine. You just don't live the way you want. There is a lifestyle that's fitting with the sound teaching. So pastors, think about pastors, have a duty to preach sound doctrine. And not only sound doctrine, but we have a duty to preach what is fitting with sound doctrine. And that's where people get offended with us. They like the sound doctrine part. But when you're preaching what is fitting with sound doctrine, that's meddling. Now you're minding my life. Now you're minding my business here. Now you're telling me how I'm supposed to live. Then he says, Paul does not command Titus only to teach sound doctrine. He must teach what accords with sound doctrine. Any minister of the gospel who knows sound doctrine, but is unable to instruct God's people in how to live their lives in accord with such doctrine, will not be an effective minister of the word. Titus must be able to address believers in every station of life with practical instructions for godly living. Thus, in the next verses, Paul unpacks what it means for specific groups of people to live in accord with sound doctrine. That's what I said. You know, it's it's one thing to teach about the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of God. But when you start, okay, in light of these glorious doctrines, that's how you're supposed to live. Like, yeah, Jeff, wonderful, the doctrine of God, but here's how the doctrine of God must affect your lifestyle. That's how you must live now. And that's where people are like, "Ah, I don't like that. I don't like that. But we are commanded to not only teach sound doctrine, but what is fitting, what is in accordance with sound doctrine. I believe that all the members of this church we will agree that what is proclaimed from the pulpit, from the different teachings in this church, women's, men's, Bible study, different settings, counseling, I believe that all the members here will agree that what is taught is sound doctrine. Otherwise, you'd not be here, right? You'd not be here if, you, if you're not teaching sound doctrine. But then the question is, do your lives, do your behavior Do all of your conduct adorn the sound doctrine that you're receiving? Does your life, your personal life, how you live, adorn the gospel and the sound doctrine that you're receiving? You see how practical that is. And look at the the next verses, starting verse 2, Paul starts addressing all the different groups of people. There is no such thing as, oh, a man cannot talk how a woman should behave herself. That's our society in our days, right? If you're white, you cannot talk about black people. If you're a man, you cannot talk about women. That doesn't happen in the church. Yes, there are different groups in the church, naturally, but we are one in Christ. And the Lord is addressing everyone. It's fascinating that while so many people... Especially in churches, they are prone to look at the different ages and groups and use their ages as an excuse for their sinful behavior. Paul does the completely opposite. He looks at the different age groups and he actually demands a holy character, a holy behavior. How often we excuse the sinful lifestyle of a young man or young woman by saying, Oh, you know how young people are nowadays. That's how young people are nowadays, they're all lazy, so that's okay for so-and-so to be lazy. You know how young men struggle with sins. No, that's okay. That's how we do we try to excuse. How about older people? Oh, he had such a tough life. That's why he's so cranky. As if it's okay. do You know, after so many years of going through hardships, it's okay for him to get old and be cranky. Oh, you know how old people become selfish. That's just part of life. Oh, it's just part of being a woman to like to gossip and spread a little gossip here and there. We always try to give excuses for... the the gender and the age that you are in Paul says no the gospel of christ proclaimed and taught through sound doctrine has the power to change all types of people old young men women slave free white black and that's not an option raven asks he says the actions and duties listed here are presented as the way of life that affirms rather than denies one's claim to know God. Look at that. To fail to live in this way is to throw into question one's salvation. Precisely because the grace of God that saves also teaches this, style of, this lifestyle. This is then highly significant For a church to be healthy, its members must realize that saving faith leads to a certain way of life. And they must live in that way. The way we live reflects our spiritual state. Old, young, men and women, free, slaves. So let's see what Paul does here. What is to teach according to sound doctrine. The first group he's going to... Dewey is the older man in the church. And it's it's so fascinating because he just says, As for you, Titus, teach, preach, speak what is in accordance, what is fitting, sound doctrine. And then he goes on to tell all the behavior and conduct of how people are to live. Honestly, I would expect Paul, do you know what I was expecting Paul to do? to start teaching about the doctrine of the Trinity, to start teaching about the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the Scriptures, the doctrine of sin, but instead he's exhorting older, younger men, women, to live in a certain behavior. Why? Because it's so important. Now it's not about teaching sound doctrine, but teaching what is fitting with sound doctrine. I hadn't realized that until I started studying this text. Like, that's fascinating. I I, I thought that Paul would start with a mini systematic theology right here. But instead, he gives very clear instructions of how these men are supposed to live. Oh, it's because he's not teaching now just sound doctrine, but what is fitting with sound doctrine, how people are to live in light of the sound doctrine that they are receiving. So the first group is the older men. Notice that there is no confusion about who the older men are in the church. There is no confusion of who men are and who the older men are. They knew very well. It's just this mess-up society that we live, that people don't even know what a man is, a woman is. But they knew very well who the older men were. The, The word here was used by Paul. Literally means older male. It's used in Philemon 9, Philemon, verse 9 for Paul himself. And it's used in Luke 1.18 Luke 118 when referring to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. It's hard to be precise what the age is. We usually want to, okay, tell me what an old man is. What is the age of an old man? Right? That's all we want to know. We don't know because if you get the greek literature of the those times it's going to vary the same word is going to be used for people who are 60 and older the same word is going to be used for people who are 50 and older and 40s and older so sadly i'm in this group here as older men <laughs> i don't know how that happened but the thing is we know we know who the older men are And you think about life expectancy during the Roman Empire. Males, men, 30, 35 years old, life expectancy. Hey, past 35. It's awesome. So, the thing that we must keep in mind is the church knows who the older men are. And let us be mindful also, it's important. And... uh, to be reminded that age does not make anyone wise. There are many older men who are as foolish or even more foolish than younger men. A white beard or a white hair makes no one wise and worthy of respect. The passing of time, brothers and sisters, the passing of time does not make anyone wiser. simply makes you older. You get older is the passing of time. And actually, the older you get without Christ, the more worldly, the more lustful, the more bitter, the more stubborn, and the less moldable you become. The older you become without Jesus Christ, the more foolish you become. Because those sins, they don't stop as you get older, they continue increasing. Wisdom and dignity are found in the fear of the Lord. Once you fear the Lord, once you live a life of devotion to Christ, then, only then, the passing of time sharpens, develops, and perfects your wisdom and dignity and maturity. Amen? So that's important to keep in mind. It's not just because people are old that they are wise and worthy of being heard. There is a life, there is a pattern of life that will show them to be like that. Also, we see here that old men, they need sound doctrine. Old men need sound doctrine. Old men need to be taught. Old men need to study theology. Old men need to be exhorted on how to live. Sometimes we think just because they're older, they don't need to be exhorted. Old men need to be exhorted also. Amen? Sadly, there are many older men in churches who remain like little children when it comes to understanding and application of sound doctrine. How sorrowful and dangerous to have older men in churches who are carried away by by all sorts of teachings. They're not solid, not mature. And Paul says older men are to be implying it's an imperative. They must be like that. There is no such thing in the Christian life that we, we sometimes we hear. You cannot teach an old dog new tricks, right? You cannot teach an old dog new tricks. That, that's not the Christian life. Old dogs are always being trained by the grace of God to live a holier and more godly life. Amen? Amen. That grace that first appeared remains within you, training you, teaching you new tricks to be a better man. So. First thing that Paul commands the older man is to be sober-minded, sober-minded. Uh, some versions have temperate. The King James has sober. The English word temperate derives from the Latin temperatus, which was related to being restrained and not affected by carnal passions. The Greek word that Paul used here, Nephalius, pertain first of all to being Sober from wine. And then the l- later, that word was used just for sobriety of mind. It's being restrained in your conduct, self control, level headed. It's interesting that according to 1 Timothy 3, verse 2 and 11, elders and deacons are commanded to be s- sober minded. And remember that we saw that pastors are supposed to embody embody all these virtues. To be sober-minded, it's a call for all the Christians. All Christians are called to be sober-minded. So, for example, 1 Thessalonians 5. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Same word here, that's the verb form. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. All Christians are called to be sober-minded. Or 1 Peter. First Peter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. All Christians are called to be sober-minded. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. So we see that all Christians are called to be sober-minded. Not only the old men, but the older men, the older Christian men in particular, they must be marked by being sober-minded. So many older men become spiritually drowsy lethargic, maybe the natural tendency is just to put the guard down, relax. Our culture tells us that old people, they just need to recline and be lazy. But all these things go against the teaching of the Scriptures. The older men in the church must be an example of sobriety, watchfulness, watching Over the church, also helping members, helping the overseers, helping the elders of the church to be watchful over the congregation. Sober minded, the way he thinks is always, always scripture centered, always balanced by scripture. A sober mind. Is governed by biblical teaching, and it's a beautiful thing to have older men in the church who are sober-minded. The next one, dignified. Dignified. Dignity. What is dignity? What is to be dignified? We live in a culture, a society, the days we live. It's very rare to re- even to listen or hear the word dignified, right? Nobody talks about being dignified. From how we dress to how we live, dignity is something alien for our society. The Greek word used by Paul here carries the concept of one who is noble, serious, and worthy of honor. We actually don't have one English word that fits well, but I think the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, is a beautiful way to understand this word. What does it mean to be dignified? Think about the gospel. The gospel has seriousness, the gospel has dignity. The gospel is worthy of our respect, amen? And at the same time, the gospel brings joy. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings deep joy. So I think that's the, 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 the picture that we have here. When Paul calls the older man to be semnos, worthy of respect, he's not saying that the older man must be morbid, gloomy, depressing, lacking joy. No, they're serious. They have dignity, But that dignity is mixed with joy, the joy of the gospel. And let me remind you that older Christian men are not honorable and dignified just because of their old age. There are many old men who have nothing of being dignified or worthy of respect. There are old men who are perverted, full of dirty jokes, given to all sorts of immoral habits, gamblers, liars, and they are not dignified. You need to train yourself to be dignified. And the type of man that Paul is talking about here is not a man who needs to ask for respect. They captivate the respect of others by how they live. How they dress, how they speak, how they pray, how they talk, how they treat their wives, kids, how they treat their neighbors. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, it's a good help for how all of us to be dignified. Paul says, Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, dignified, full of dignity, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth of praise, think about these things. Do you want to be a man who is dignified? Think about things that are full of dignity. Think about gospel-centered things that are full of dignity. Fill your mind with those things. You cannot fill your mind with all sorts of immorality, all sorts of foolish things and believe that you're going to become dignified. There is no way. There is no way. Men and women, young and old, We are all, as Christians, we are called to be dignified. You must walk in a way that captivates people's respect because you worship. You worship a God who is worthy of all respect. You worship a God that is full of dignity and we must imitate Him in our lives. Some older men, sadly, when they go through their what is called midlife crisis, instead of becoming dignified, they become juvenile and infantile. And that's pathetic. They're supposed to be becoming more and more dignified. So, how beautiful it is to be surrounded by older men who are dignified, older women who are dignified. How gospel attractive it is when the older Christian men in the church show the dignity, reverence of the gospel by how they live. It's the power of the gospel. And last, we need to finish here. The time is flying. Self-controlled. I'm going to finish the older men next Sunday. Don't worry. (laughs) We're going to continue our journey through the older men and then moving to the older women. There's just so much here. It's so good for all of us. So let's take our time here. But the last one is self-controlled. Self-control is a key word throughout Titus. And you can see He's going to use self-control in verse 2. He's going to use self-control in verse 5, 6, and 12. It's a key word. Meaning, all Christians are called to be marked by self-control. We are going to talk more about self-control. But think about the Cretan culture and society where People are called liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, a lack of self-control. How important it was for the older men in the church to be so different from the culture around them and to be marked by self-control. How hard it is to deal with old men in the church who lack self-control. Some men cannot control their emotions, their passions, and they become aggressive, angry, unhinged. They always feel like they can say whatever they want and however they want. It's deeply hurtful for all those around them. Ask Moses how serious lack of self-control is. Ask Moses how serious lack of self-control is. That he was hindered from entering the promised land. The absence of self-control in in an older man is very ugly. We all have heard the, the saying, a dirty old man. How inappropriate it is inappropriate, hurtful, painful to see older men yelling, yelling at their wives, yelling at the traffic, yelling at their kids, grandchildren, neighbors, lack of self-control. How inappropriate for older men to be known for flirting with other women, looking at inappropriate things, who are explosive. Lack of self-control shows a lack of the Holy Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, we are called, all of us, all of us, and I know that the man here is the primary target, but as we see through the Scriptures, all of us are called to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. All of us. Younger men, younger women, I tell you, train yourselves now. The younger people, you must train yourselves now. Today's the day to be training yourselves, to be self-controlled, dignified, to be sober minded. Younger older young younger Christian men, what a blessing it is to have in the church older godly men that you can just spend time with and learn from older godly men how to be this type of man. That God wants you to be. To the older man, let me remind you that you are not too old to be transformed if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, there is hope. There is hope today that the Lord can change you. He's able to change you and He's willing to change you. And my prayer is, studying this section, is that all that we will have. A church full of Titus 2, 2 older men. Men who are dignified. Men with self-control. Men with a sober-minded. And I pray that our prayer, the prayer of the older men in this church will be Psalm 71. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me And I still proclaim, look at that, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to all those to come. May that be the prayer of the older men in this church. Now I'm done. But I'm not done, Lord, until you take me home. And we see how true godly men true godly men they're not wild at heart they're self-controlled at heart they're dignified in their heart and I pray that the Holy Spirit will make us and will give us this type of man and I praise the Lord for men like that in our church how gracious is the Lord to give us men like that Amen Father we thank you we thank you for your word that is indeed sound. It brings health into our spiritual lives. Lord, whatever I said uh, is not feeding sound doctrine, and I pray that by Your mercy You'd erase from our minds. But whatever I said that's feeding sound doctrine, that You'd impart in our hearts, plant deep in us Your Word and change us, cause us to be transformed, Lord. I thank you for this body, this church, and I thank you for the older, godly, Christian men in this body. How wonderful it is to be surrounded by men who love you and treasure you. How beautiful is the gospel that never ceases to transform us and change us. As our bodies decaying, as we are getting older, our, our inner man is being renewed and changed. So we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.